You're listening to a message from Victory Church of the Bay Area. For more information, please visit us on our website at victoryus.org. Starting a brand new series entitled Kingdom Ways. Actually, this is part three of our Sermon on the Mount series. You see, the Sermon on the Mount is such a, I mean, it's such a, an extensive sermon of Jesus Christ. People went there to the mountain to hear him preach over several days and even weeks. And so to cover the entire Sermon on the Mount in four weeks would not do it justice. And that's why we've, we're uh, doing this every year. So this is uh, our time this year. We are already in part three of it. And the first part, we talked about the Beatitudes and the blessedness of the kingdom. And then last year, uh, we talked about walking in the righteousness of the king, basically looking at different issues that people face in any generation. We talked about divorce, we talked about what marriage is, and uh, we talked about anger and murder and all that kind of stuff and what Jesus had to say. So that's, we were, and now we're continuing where we left off, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 for this series. This will be a four-week series. This is going to be really exciting because a lot of this will be relevant to us. So I'd like to invite everybody to please stand as we honor God's Word. And if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 of your Bible. Okay, if you don't know where Matthew is, Genesis, Exodus, Matthew. (laughs) See, that joke works all the time. (laughs) All right, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read from verses 1 through 4. For this series, we're going to be covering Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18, okay? So, but we're going to divide that into four weeks. So today, we're just going to cover four verses. If you have uh, your apps with you, you can use your apps, or you can just look up here. So, all right. So I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is so rich. Your word is truth. And your word, just one morsel from your word, changes our lives. And Lord, I pray as we encounter your word today and as we dive into this topic today, I pray that we would be changed from the inside out, that your word would be planted deep in our hearts, and that we would understand this truth about giving to the needy, and Lord, we just commit this time to you. May you be honored and glorified through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May you, t- you may take your seats. And this series, we will be basically looking at Matthew 6 and Jesus teaching on practicing your righteousness, okay? And a lot of religious people practice their righteousness, but not every religious person who practices their form of righteousness God approves of. You see, there are many religions in the world 
and each religion has a set of practices and beliefs, but not everything is acceptable to God. God only, there's, there's a way that God prescribes. And, and what we want to do here in this series is for us to understand the ways of the kingdom, the ways of God. Okay, so as believers, we need to understand the ways of God and the ways of us as believers. And let me start out by saying this statement. The characteristics and the principles of the kingdom of God emanate from the characteristics of the king. Okay, did you get that? Let me say that again. The principles and the characteristics of the kingdom of God emanate from the characteristics of the king. And so, as we learn to know the ways of the kingdom, it's basically learning the ways of God. And you see, the ways of the world are different from the ways of God. God's ways are higher than our ways. Many of us think of our ways as noble, or we put high esteem on our ways, especially when we talk about religious ways. But you see, not not everything is acceptable to God, as we can see here in our passage so we want to understand and grow in the ways of the kingdom of God in our lives, okay? And this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And it says here in verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, this verse actually lays out the, the principle, not just for the passages we read, the first four passages, but it lays out the principle for all the things that Jesus would say in this series. Okay, This is the principle of this series, but also in, in next year's series, the continuation of this one. This is the, the principle, and Jesus expounds on this principle using three of the most common religious forms of piety in Israel during his day. Okay, and... Most of us grew up in a religious, with a religious mindset, and most of us would probably have some religious ways set in us, right? Sometimes we don't even ask, we don't even know why we do those things. We were just born with it. We were raised up seeing our parents and our older siblings do those things, and, you know, I'm part of this family, so I'm going to be doing it also. Okay, how many of you can think of some religious ways that you have? Right now, so it says here, basically, you, we are not to practice our righteousness before other people. Now, just a few verses prior to this, in Matthew chapter 5, remember this is Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount is covered in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, in that chapter, it says something of the opposite. Okay? And in Matthew five sixteen, it says there, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, wait a minute. Did Jesus change his mind from Matthew chapter 5? He's saying, let your light shine so that everybody will see your good works. And then here in Matthew 6, he, did he change his mind and say, you know, don't practice your righteousness before men? What's going on there? The key there is the context. And the context is the motive behind those two statements, okay? The first statement, the context there is, you know, the motive is, is right. It's godly. But here in our text today, the motive is actually unrighteous. Do you realize that you can be doing religious things and stand unrighteous before God? 
You see, religiosity will never save us. Being a part of a religion will not save us. Being part of a church never, and it will never save us. This morning, we just had, my family and I, we just decided to have breakfast at McDonald's. You know, that's the closest place to have breakfast. So we dropped Luigi off here early because he has duty with Kids Church. So we had breakfast at McDonald's. Now, when you go to McDonald's, do you become a hamburger? Or do you, when you come out of McDonald's, you, do you look like Ronald McDonald? That doesn't happen, right? A lot of people think that when they go to church, they're automatically Christians or saved. Or because they're a member of this particular church, then their eternal destination is secure. No. You see, if there's anything that can save us, if religion can save us, there's no need for Jesus to die on that cross. Absolutely no need for Jesus to die on that cross. Because if there's another way, then why would he die on that cross? Then take that way. But the fact that he died on the cross tells us that there was no other way for us to be saved. And many people rely on their religiosity, their piety, their religious practices, thinking by doing more religious stuff, and if they offset the bad things that they do, now everybody does bad things, right? All of us would agree that all of us are sinners, that we have all sinned, right? But the mentality is this, and this is a religious way that has been ingrained in most of us growing up, is this. If you sin, then all you need to do is offset that sin with more good works. And say, if I sin last, sat- last Friday or Saturday by partying too much, I need to be in church, and I need to read my Bible more this week. You see, that's what we call penance. Penance actually never inherits the grace of God. But we, most of us were taught that penance will cause us to inherit or to merit or to deserve God's grace and mercy. You see, that's what religion will do to you. It will deceive you into thinking that by being good, you can be saved. The question is, how good is good enough? Jesus answered it. It's never good enough. Your best, the Bible says, your religious and most personal righteousness at your best is like a filthy rag before God. How many of you love having filthy rags in your home? Now, I don't want to explain the context of that filthy rag. I did yesterday in our foundations class. (laughs) But anyway, so again, the difference between Matthew 5.16 and our text is the motive. On one end, Jesus says, let your light shine so that all men will see your good works and praise your Father who is in heaven. And on the other hand, Jesus says, don't let. Make sure that you don't practice your righteousness before men, seeking to be honored and praised by them. You see, the motive is different. Here, the motive is right. It's to glorify God. Here, it's to seek your own glory. It's to seek your own personal honor. To show people that you are a good man or a good woman, a religious man or woman. And then here, your audience is one, God. Here, your audience is the world. Whose applause do you live for? Whose approval do you live for? Look at the person next to you. Ask that person, whose applause do you live for? Whose opinion do you value most? Is it 
what the world says or is it what God says? In the passage we read, we see it's a command to beware of practicing your righteousness for show. That means you're practicing righteousness with the wrong motive. It's an unrighteous motive. You see, it's possible to have correct actions but have wrong motives, right? Correct actions and wrong motives. And the thing is, we as people, many times, we look at other people and judge them by their actions. How many of you have done this? You look at what other people have done without knowing the context, and we judge them by their actions, right? But we always look at ourselves by our intentions. The reason why I did that is this, this is my motive. This is my intention. But we never dare take the time to look at the intention and the motives and the context of why people do those things. The reason why we do that is because men tend to look at the externals. Men tend to look at externals. And many times men are fooled by externals. You see, people can fool you into thinking that I'm a great person. But little do you know, this person is a rapist or a serial killer, right? Or a child molester or a scammer. How many of you have been scammed? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> You've been scammed. You trusted someone, and now you want to beat, <laughs> beat the living daylights out of that guy if you see him. Chances are you won't see him again. That's how scammers work. They, they win your trust. They make you vulnerable, and, you know, you open their home to them, and the next thing you know, everything you hold dear and everything you desire is out of your hands. It's easy to get deceived by externals. And men and women tend to look at externals. But God is never fooled by our show. God is never fooled by our lip service or by the hypocrisy of our actions. He always sees the intents of our hearts. He's God. He sees your every intention. He sees your motives. Why do you do what you do? He sees it and he calls it he calls a spade a spade. First Samuel chapter 16 says this. When, when the prophet Samuel was there and he was sent by God to the home of Jesse to anoint the next king of Israel, he was looking at all the sons of Jesse and all of them were handsome men. Each of them could be the, king, the next king. And then the youngest of them, and he's dirty, he just came from the field because he was a shepherd, and you know how it is when you're out in the sun the whole day? You know how it is you smell? There's a certain scent that you have, right? And so, you know, he's with the sheep. You know, he smelled like sheep. And he's the youngest. And he didn't look impressive. And the prophet Samuel was looking at, at David. It's like, this is not the guy. And here's what God said. Don't look at the externals. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God sees your heart. Do you realize that you can deceive everybody, even yourself, but not God? God sees and knows the motives of your hearts. Okay? God sees why you're all of a sudden becoming best friends with this, with this sister in church. Oh, she's my best friend. And the girl goes, I am? Well, I guess you are my best friend too now. We're BFFs, you know. Oh, we're just friends, but, you know, you're not fooling God. Okay. Action done primarily for personal honor or gain may attain its objective 
But that's the end of it. God will never add any further reward, as we see in our text here. So when, after Jesus gives this principle, he then gives illustrations, some examples in daily life of religious piety that can be misunderstood and applied wrongly. And that's why God wants us, Jesus wants us to understand his ways. So that when we do religious actions or pious actions or pious acts, those acts would matter to God. And so, our overview for this series is this. Today, we're going to talk about giving to the needy. Next week, we're going to talk about prayer, forgiveness, the third week, and fasting on the fourth week. And these are all in the text that we will read in these next few weeks. So we're going to be focusing on giving to the needy. And look at the guy giving to this needy person. He's saying, you see, believers are to be generous and gracious in their actions, most especially towards those who are in need. God expects that of all his followers, especially generous toward the poor. That's what God expects of believers. Proverbs 28, we see this. I mean, we don't have time to really look at all the scriptures, but it's this truth is riddled all over scripture. Let's look at a few of them. Proverbs 28, verse 27 says this. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing. You know, the kingdom of God, is, it goes beyond logic. How many of you know that when you give, then when you give of something from, you know, to someone, then what you used to have is no longer with you. So let's say if you have $100 and you gave 50 bucks to another person, what will you have? 50 bucks, right? But you know what? In the kingdom of God, if you give to the poor, you will lack nothing. Even if the world's valuation is such, in the eyes of God, you will lack nothing. Why? Because in this world, we are, our resources are limited. That's how the world thinks. We operate in a world system that has limited resources. And we think we're going to be running out. But, you know, when, you're, when you are trusting in God, your resources are not limited to this world. You are tapped into the very source of all resource, even the supernatural. That's why, even if you only have 50 bucks in the bank, but if you trust in God and you give to the poor... That 50 bucks will go a long way, and God can multiply that. And I've seen so many rich folks who are so insecure about life. They have millions of dollars in their account, but they're so insecure. They're so afraid of what's going to happen next in their lives. And I've seen poor people who have nothing close to what those rich people have, and yet they have peace. They have joy. They smile a lot. Because they're tapped into a resource that is far greater than this world could ever offer. Are you here with me? Those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. How many of us turn a blind eye? Poor people. Say we're going to the grocery, and there's this guy calling you out, asking for some money. What do we do? You don't exist. Talk to the hand. Many of us pretend that they don't exist. Come on now, you've never done that? 1 John 3, 16 through 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 
But if anyone has the world's goods, and you're enjoying it, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? You have more than enough to last you like four lifetimes, and then there's one who's so much in need, and you close your eye to them because you don't want to lose what you have. How can the love of God be in your life? You can hear a pin drop here, even in, in carpeted flooring. How can the love of God, see, that's what the word says. How can the love of God abide in that person? A lot of people come, come to church, they love worshiping, they love the worship, they love the church, but this very aspect of Christianity, this is where Christianity is seen, they fail the test. They don't have possessions. Their possessions possess them, and they can't part from them. They've allowed themselves to be enslaved by their possessions, by their wealth. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 2 Corinthians 8, 7 in the NIV says this, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, as you excel in all these things, see to it, that you also excel in this grace of giving. You see, giving is a grace. How many of you love giving things away? I mean, it's, that's counterintuitive. You don't want to give things away. You want to get things, right? Manny Pacquiao just won his fight last night, and uh, apparently that, that's his last fight. And I, I keep remembering what Joel always says, you know. He loves Manny Pacquiao. He obeys God's word. It's better to give than to receive. <laughs> and he gives a lot. He gives fast. Never thinks twice about giving. <laughs> As he gives in boxing, actually, he's very generous, right? But how many of us really want to give things away? We want people to give things to us. Many times it's so hard for us to give things away. Many years ago, a couple of people gave our family a Toyota Camry for free. They just said, Pastor, we just want to bless you. We prayed about it. God spoke to our hearts. We want to bless you. I mean, like, that's unthinkable. You give cars away? That's unthinkable if your mind is unrenewed. But if you're a child of God, that is normal. And that is cause for praise to God. Amen? See to it that you also excel in this grace of giving. Giving is a grace from God. Before I became a believer, I didn't give. The only things I gave were bad compliments, cuss words, <laughs> and a lot of bad stuff. But when I became a believer, something happened in me, and I started giving things away. I started giving things away, and I see my friends give things away. You know, I see Joel give things away. And one thing I've seen, the more they gave the more they got blessed. And the more I gave as well, God's been blessing me in many other ways. It's an amazing life. It's an amazing journey. You see, those who give to the poor lack nothing. But those who turn a blind eye to them, they will receive many curses. You don't want to live in curses. See, the principle that Jesus taught is not only limited to giving. It is, it is also applied to any charitable act, any act of charity 
for the kingdom that we do. It applies to anything. We are not basically to do a righteous act so that we will look good. People today, you know, especially in some corrupt nations, and even in, our, in, in the Philippines, we have people who donate just a couple of thousand pesos to, to this, this thing. And the next thing you'll see is that billboard with their huge name and their huge face, bigger than the place, than the house that they gave like a thousand pesos to. They want everybody to know, I gave to this. Okay? You see, the motivation behind such acts of piety makes all the difference. And in verse 2, we see here, Jesus said, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. In other words, don't let anybody know about it. But in their culture, in the culture where he, the culture he was speaking to, that's what they do. They let everybody know, hey, I gave to this, to this thing. I, I, I donated. Sound no trumpet. That sounds familiar today. If Jesus said that today, here's how he would say it. Thus, when you give to the needy, don't toot your own horn. Do you understand that phrase? Tooting your own horn or blowing your own horn means you're bragging about what you've done. You're bragging about yourself and what you've accomplished. Okay? It's funny. We see that so often in social media. Social media is everybody's brag place. Oh, it's time to go to the gym. And they show a watch of their Breitling and their Rolex. And they go, oh, what to wear? And they show, what a nice day. And they have all their luxury stuff there. Okay? It's interesting. How people are so given to tooting their own horn. How they brag. Especially when they do something good. They brag about it. And all of us have fallen prey to this. We have, we have been guilty of this. And Jesus said this, Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Let everybody know that I gave... 20 bucks to this charity. Let everybody know that I am a donor to this. <laughs> you know what? You may not do that, but here are things that we brag about ourselves. We toot our own horn here. Do you want to know? You know, before we do that, let me look at the word. Let's look at the word hypocrite first. In the modern English, a hypocrite is a person who, who professes to look good, but he knows that he's not all about that. It's just all for show. That's what the word hypocrite means. But the word hypocrite actually came from the Greek word hypocrites, which literally means a play actor, a pretender. So a lot of us can pretend. How are you doing today, bro? Oh, everything's great, man. You pretend life is good. Just like the posts of many people on Facebook. Life is so good for them. And most of us get so envious. Why is life so good for them? But you don't realize they overcompensate for all the things they're going through. And they want to feel good. They want to show the world nothing's wrong with them. But there actually is a lot of things wrong in their marriage, in their family. You get what I'm saying here? Life is good, right? You've seen it all everywhere. You've seen their posts. They're like, partying, after the picture, they're back to their hurting selves. But in all their posts. <laughs> Life is a party. Life is a play, and we're all actors in it many times. 
Do you want to know how the desire for personal honor is seen in your life? Maybe you're not the type of person who would want your name to be plastered all over for your $15 donation. Okay? You want to see it? Many of us actually have a blind spot to these things. We know we have the desire for personal recognition when we always crave for acknowledgement, for recognition, or we always crave to have the credit. When you all did this, and then the leader of your team is the one praised by the boss, and you go, he's not me too. Ouch, right? You're really quiet. Especially for the things that you've done, the good things you've done. You want credit for it. You see that? I did that. See that? I'm part of it. Another way you know that you have the desire for personal recognition is this. When you complain when somebody else gets recognized. I did more than that guy. I mean, I've been longer here in this church. And then that guy always gets the attention. Is it because he speaks better English than I do? Is it because he went to, the, to a better school? You know, I'm as good looking as he is. He was here a week after I came in. So I'm here longer than he is. When we have that entitlement, mentality, which if you look, I read a lot of articles about millennials, how companies have come up with strategies to break the entitlement mentality in people. Because a lot of people think they're entitled to things in life. You complain when you don't get recognized. What about this one? In all your conversations, you're always the center. When you're talking to someone, you always talk about yourself. You bragged about yourself, and then somebody asks you, so how is he like? I don't know, he didn't talk much. Because you talked all the time, and you talked all about yourself. It's all about you. The center of the world is you. And you brat out if things don't go your way. You, then you have a desire for personal recognition. When we always find ourselves trying to one-up other people. See, I'm, I'm better than he is. You see, there will always be someone better than you. Get it over with. There will always be someone better looking than you. Somebody taller than you. Somebody who speaks better than you. There will be somebody whom people will like more than you. Get over it. Come on now. That's a miserable life. Trying to one-up everybody. And those who selfishly seek their personal honor have, Jesus said, have already received their reward. If they seek personal honor and the world applauds them, that's it. That's done. You're honored. Great. Ten years from now, will everybody remember that? No. The only one who will remember it is you. So here, we see here, Jesus, you know, we can deceive people and even ourselves, but Jesus is the sole judge of all our internal realities. He's the only one who sees it as it is. And he lovingly deals with it by convicting us. He is concerned with the internal more than the external. He is concerned with the intentions more than just the actions. Do you realize that before the act comes to fruition, it all started with the intention, right? It all started with the motive. He is concerned with the why of our actions, not just the what and the how. He's more concerned with the why. 
Why do you do the things that you do? Is it to honor God or is it to honor yourself? So, my main point for this morning is this. Good works from selfish motives are utterly worthless before God. But good works from godly motives are priceless. Many people use good works to attain grace. But here's the truth. You never can attain grace by your good works. Never. Grace is given. It's undeserved. But good works that come from a godly motive, a motive that seeks to honor God, good works that come as a result of your salvation and your faith in God, those are the ones that matter. You see, we are not saved by our good works. But when we are saved, we are saved for good works. Good works is a result of faith. It is not a prerequisite to attain grace and faith. But a lot of people who are religious try to attain it by their own good works. Filthy rags. So what does Jesus say about this? He says, do not do the way of the hypocrites do. Don't do what they do, blowing their own horns, tooting their own horns. Don't go that way. Don't be, don't be that way. Secondly, he says, do not do it for the reason the hypocrites do it. So don't do their way and don't do the reason why they do it. Don't do it for the same reasons they are, which is to honor themselves. They want to be applauded by men. And here's what Jesus is saying. You see, Jesus never negated giving to the needy. There are people who give to the needy and it's worthless to God. But there are those who give to the needy and that creates an impact in eternity and God is pleased with it. And here he's saying, here's how you do it. Do it God's way. How? In secret. Don't brag about it. Just do it. See? You'll know if you're really doing it to honor God when you're, let's say, example, here in the church, if you're serving in this church and you're never recognized and the new guy who comes one week of volunteer service and he's praised and you go, and, and you're okay with it, that tells you you're doing it unto God. There's a scripture in Proverbs that says, man is tested by the praise he receives. Give me praise, give me praise. They do things, oh, I'm doing it all, all to the glory of God, all for God's glory. But actually what they're saying, hallelujah. It's not hallelujah, it's hallelujah me. Look how great a follower of Christ I am. Does this make sense? Do it in secret. Man is tested by the praise he receives. He is also tested by the lack of praise he receives. The opposite is true. Are you okay even if no one sees you? Sees all the effort and the sacrifice and the labor of love you do and nobody acknowledges you. If you're okay with it, that means you're in the right place because you know who your audience is. You have an audience of one. And even if the world doesn't see you, God sees you. Whose pleasure do you live for? The world's? Your own? Or God's pleasure? Do it the right way. Next, do it for the right reason or for the right motive. Do it unto God. Don't do it for yourself. Don't do it for other people. That's why a lot of marriages today, they don't understand. Couples don't understand. They always say to each other, you don't appreciate all the things I do for you. I've sacrificed, I've sacrificed, I've sacrificed. What they're actually saying is this. I'm giving and giving and giving and you're not giving back to me. I'm doing all these things so that you can fill me. Can I say this? 
Wives, your husbands are not your savior. Can I also say this to the husband? Husbands, your wives are not your savior. They're there to help you, but they're not there to save you. They can help meet some of your needs, but you know who meets all your needs? Jesus does. And many times he uses your spouse as his instrument to meet your needs, but it's Jesus who meets your needs. The motive, I sacrifice, I sacrifice, I do this, I do this, I'm so spent. You know what? If you do it unto God, it doesn't really matter. If you, if you sacrifice and you're tired and nobody acknowledges you, you're pouring that drink offering unto God, and God receives it, and he's honored by it. So whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord, not for show, not to be acknowledged by man. So when we give, our motive should be this, give to honor God. That's what we're all about here. We exist to honor God. When you give, give for God's honor. Give to glorify Him. Don't give a heavy offering. You know a heavy offering? You like all these pennies? Or you're dropping dimes? You know? Honor God. Give to honor Him. So how do we honor Him in our giving? You want to know how to, the practical lessons now? Based on this principle as we try to land this. First, we honor God by our giving when we, first of all, give first to God. Give him primacy in our resources, acknowledging that he is the source of everything that we have. When we give to God first, we are telling him that everything we have belongs to you. And you bless us with this, and so we honor you with this. Proverbs 3.9 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. First fruits. It didn't say last fruits. First fruits. The first thing that you, when your when paycheck comes, the first thing that you need to think about is not the PlayStation I'm going to buy. When your paycheck comes, the first thing you need to think about is, I'm going to honor God with this paycheck, with this salary. I'm going to honor God by giving unto Him first before spending on myself. I'm going to spend on myself last. I'm going to honor God first. Honor the Lord with your wealth. You see, we need to give God what is right, not what's left. Okay? Deuteronomy 8.18 says this, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. Do you really think that it's really your ability and your cool thinking and your training that, that's causing you to have all this money? God is the one who gave you that very ability or that skill set. It's a grace from Him. And many people, God has given them the grace, the, that grace and that skill set, and they don't acknowledge Him. How many of you feel good when you give something to a person and you go, oh, and the person goes and doesn't acknowledge you? Doesn't feel good, right? Right? So we need to give to God first. That speaks about our tithes and our offerings. First to God. Secondly, as we, after we've given to God, then I can spend upon myself. No, no, no. You're last. Here's the next thing. You want to honor God with your giving? Give to Him first. Not that God needs what you give Him. When you give to God, that means you're acknowledging your place and you're acknowledging His place in your life. He is supreme. Okay? Secondly, you need to give to those in need. Again, Proverbs 19, 17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. 
Not that God needs to borrow from you or needs anything. But when you give to the poor, when you're generous to the poor, it's like lending to God. And the good thing with God is He will always reward those who are generous to the poor. Why? Even in the Old Testament, He made provisions that the poor will have provisions. If people are reaping, okay, and then as they're taking all the things that they're reaping and some are falling off, what do we usually do when things that we get fall, fall off? We stop and we get them, right? God says, no, get everything you can get, but if there are th- things that fall off, don't get it. Leave it for the poor. Let the poor glean. I am their God. I am the Lord, he says. He will repay those who are generous to the poor. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says this, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. How many of you love giving and you're cheerful about it? Some of you go, here you go. And they went, thank you. Plastered smile there. Fake smile. Give cheerfully. Here are the things you need to do. Give to those in need, then give freely. That's what that scripture says. Not out of compulsion or out of reluctance, but you have the freedom to give whatever you've decided when you give to the poor, when you give to those who are in need, the poor and needy. Give freely. This is a loan, okay? I have some friends who asked me for a loan. I said, okay, how much do you need? And he said, I need this much. Ooh. Okay. Then I, I pray. That's, that's a lot. I said to him, I'm going to give you, okay, I'm, I'm going to loan you some money, okay? So as I was getting my, my check, checkbook, God was just tugging in my heart, said, don't give him a loan. Just give it to him. <laughs> Just give it to him. And I realize if God tells me to give it to him and he's my source, that means I don't have to worry about my, my faith is not based on my bank account. My faith is based on God who has a limited account, an unlimited account rather. And I said, okay, give it to him. Okay, Thank you, bro. I'm going to pay you this back. No, you don't need to pay me back. That's a gift. And I was telling myself, Better be sure not to get any ideas when you, when you borrow money, okay, just come to me every time. No, that was me, my sinful self, okay, so saying that. But God says, you know, whenever there is an opportunity for you to, be, to give and to be generous, do so. Even when it hurts. It's hard, but it's harder if you don't do it. Give freely and give cheerfully, okay? Lastly, give generously and graciously give a lot and be kind about it be gracious about it you don't give only to people who deserve it you know even to those who don't deserve it that's what grace is you give something to those who don't deserve it be gracious about your giving be generous and be gracious in every opportunity so as we close what is giving actually giving is more than just the pious act giving is an act of love. Because when you give, that means you're sacrificing part of you. And when you give love, not just on Christmas Day, but every day, that means you're willing to be inconvenienced. You're willing to let your schedule be bothered. That's what love is about. It's sacrificial. And when you give to the point that it hurts, then you're learning how to love. You're really learning how to love. 
James Edwards said this, the value of a gift is not the amount given, but the cost to the giver. You may have received it for free, but the one who gave it to you shouldered the cost. Salvation is free, but the one who gave it to you shouldered its immense cost. The cost was supposed to be yours and mine, but he shouldered it. He took care of it. Here's how he showed your value and mine. God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. He gave himself for us. He didn't just give a blessing. He gave of himself. He gave his life. That's what love is about, that we give our lives. We give ourselves to others. You see, Jesus is the greatest example. God is the greatest example of generous and gracious love. Because of his great love for us, we who are in the greatest need and in the greatest peril, God's great love for us, because of his great love, he sent his one and only, his best, he sent his son to pay our greatest price so that he can defeat our greatest enemies. And as we put our faith in his greatest sacrifice, we can receive his greatest gift. That's the price he paid because he loved us. You see, love and giving go hand in hand. When you give, you give with a motive of love. Amen? Let's all stand right now. Let's follow after Jesus' example. Lord Jesus, we thank you right now. We thank you for your example of generosity. Lord, you just didn't give us things. You bless us with everything we need in the heavenly realms and in this earth. But more than those things, you gave yourself to us. And Lord, we want to learn from your example. We want to follow your example. We want to be selfless as we live this life for you. We don't want to be selfish. Selfishness messes our lives and it causes us to do things that don't bring pleasure and honor to you. But when we are selfless, when we empty ourselves of our desires, when we deny ourselves as we follow you and we carry our cross daily, as we learn to give love as you have loved us, Lord, the result of that will be generosity. The result of that will be a giving that matters in eternity. The result of that will be good works that can impact the eternal destinies of other people. And the result of that will be good works that will please you. Lord, there's no, there's no feeling like experiencing your pleasure when we do the things you've called us to do, the things you've appointed for us to do, when we do the things that you have prepared in advance for us to do, there's nothing like experiencing your joy, the joy of a father for his children. Lord, may we not be wayward children who seek our own glory, who seek our own way, but may we be children who seek the pleasure of God our Father. We want to please you, Lord. And so today, we want to repent of selfishness. We want to repent of every form of greed. We want to repent 
of hypocrisy and showing to, to, to the world that we're okay, but we're really not. That we're generous, but we're really not. Lord, we want to stop playing games. We repent of playing games. And we say, Lord, forgive us and cleanse us. If that's you, the lights are dimmed, every head is bowed and every eye is, every eye is closed. If you want to repent of all those things, just lift up your hand before God. And say, Lord Jesus, I repent of hypocrisy. I repent of greed. I repent of selfishness. I repent of making me the center of life. I repent of all this entitlement, this selfish desire, this, this desire to seek my own glory. Lord, I repent and turn away from those things. I ask that you would forgive me and I ask that you would cleanse me. And by faith, Lord, I believe your word that says when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And today, by faith, we receive your word and we receive your forgiveness by faith. And we receive your cleansing. And Lord, we offer ourselves to you. Cleanse us and make us your instruments, Lord, of, of blessing. Bless us so that we can be a blessing, Lord. And even if we don't have the material blessing that the world values so much, there's so much more than material things that we can use to be a blessing to others. We can bless others with our time, with our service, with our love. Lord, make us your instruments. And when we go and touch people's lives with your love, we desire not for us to be seen and honored, but we desire for you to be seen more and more in and through us. We receive your cleansing and your forgiveness, and we receive this grace, and we declare today that we are blessed beyond measure, not according to the definition of the world for success and blessing and riches. We are blessed according to your definition because we have Christ in us. If you are born again, you're saved, and you put your trust in Jesus, there's nothing to be afraid of in this life. There's no fear of lack whatsoever. And Lord, we, we receive all your promises. Your word says all your promises are yes and amen in Christ. We receive every spiritual blessing that you have for us. But more importantly, we don't seek the blessing. We seek the one who gives the blessing. We don't seek the things. We seek you, God. The things that will pursue us, the blessing, those are just consequential. Those are just the result of us following after you, pursuing you. So let us pursue you with all our hearts, Lord. And Lord, use us for your glory. Use us to be your instruments of blessing to the world, that you may be known. This we pray in Jesus' name.